Welcome to WTF is Really Happening, the podcast where two guys, a couple of bros, and all kinds of time expand their thoughts on physical rehabilitation. Let's find out. WTF is really happening today. What's up, Ryan? How's it going, buddy? Doing pretty well. Finally. Right? Finally, man. Finally happening. We've spent, you know, a long time getting here. Brian had to text me like 10 times and I kept ignoring him. A day. He's over. He's under Because I uh, I play hard to get. I play hard to get. It's all all part of my master plan (laughs) to uh, get you hooked in. Just makes us all want him more. Yeah, that's how I got my wife to be. (laughs) But anyway, welcome to our podcast. Uh, what the fuck? Can we is, say that? Can we say that? I think I think oh, it's no. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's my okay. As long as we don't start being just yeah. all over the place. That's I true. Mean, exactly. That's true. WTF is really happening. I think there that's the go. biggest question of there all, right? There you go. Yeah, so, for sure. Exactly. So obviously that's our biggest question, and that's the question we're going to be searching to try and answer, or most importantly, kind of ask along with you guys the whole way through. So. You know, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This welcome is episode everybody. one. Episode one. Here we go. So I think the most important question right now to answer is to help everyone understand who the fuck we are. So oh. let's just start with you. I think everyone would like to know who you are. That's slightly important. Uh, yes. Well, thank you, Barty. Um, my name is Brian Klein. Uh, some people would refer to me as Dr. Klein. I'm I'm a uh, physical therapist. I got my doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Incarnate Word in San Antonio. And I graduated in 2017 and have been uh, working ever since. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, what do I, you? Uh, what kind of what kind of uh, work do you do? I, I work in the outpatient setting. Um, I'm working on getting some some extra credentials and things like that, and starting fellowship now at this point. So. Loving it. Um, the the word fellowship just turned me on right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll dive into that in the future. So I, I, I'm excited for that for sure. It's very cool. Um, so Barty, tell cool. us tell us a little bit about you, man. I, well, I I know, but I think everyone else needs to know. Yeah, you did that really well. It's a pretty good good example. It's hard to beat that. My name is Bardia Shimarani, and um, I'm from Houston, Texas. I um, three have things a, you like about yourself. Two things you don't. Um, I like the color red. I like the color blue. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Go so ahead. I'm a clinical exercise physiologist. I have a um, my first graduate degree was in human movement system, and the second one is in uh, rehabilitation practices. So I have a dual graduate degree, and obviously my undergraduate studies expand the world of kinesiology. Right. Very nice. Um, you guys hear that? He's a double master's. Bam double damn that's pretty damn good that's pretty damn good and um so uh is my uh my debt collection <laughs> student loans are kind of building right? up on that um every time you say that it's like shit <laughs> and yet we're right back into this thing spending money on the podcast <laughs> yeah for sure but this is what we like to do we love to talk. This is what we have a passion Should for. Should we even briefly mention how this whole thing got started? I think so. I think so. I think we should do it. It was kind of like a very um, natural thing to happen. We were actually having uh, a few drinks at this local bar called Axelrad, and we were just chit-chatting, exchanging notes, exchanging thoughts about you know what 
Brian does and what I do. And, Talking about an actual patient. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was an instantaneous, both of us kind of sit at the same time, really cheesy. We, we should, should start, start a, a podcast. podcast. Pretty much just like that. Um, and this is where we are now. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty interesting journey. We're just getting started, guys. And, you know, there's a lot of things for us to learn. Brian has actually have done a really good job of keeping me uh, motivated to keep, you know, working on it little by little here and there. It's just, um, you know, uh, there's not enough time in the day but for this we both of us are really trying to make a good time about it and make it interesting and fun for us and make it fun for everyone else who's listening That's very would true. you agree yeah we're, we're basically going to try and set up these podcasts as if we're all just hanging out like just we chilling. did that day yeah yeah and that's then we're hoping you're all here to just kind of tune in and hopefully offer your own thoughts as well yeah i think that's a big uh that's a big thing we we wanted to talk about this you, you know like just hear ourselves talk about things that we're really passionate about but at the same time we wanted to see what other people think and different ways of approaching rehab um and uh it's an open forum whether or not we actually know what the fuck we're talking about and i think that's where the title came from it's everything depends you know everything is dependent on something and uh if i am doing something in a particular way it's probably going to be a different way that a physical therapist is going to do it but it might be the same thing and we just call it different things so it was just a really interesting realm for us to play around with so we actually did say that that day because you were telling me something about what you did and i was and i was like you know what it doesn't really matter what the fuck's happening and then we were like but what is happening and then that's boom there you go the title came magic yeah it's magic you You know. know That's that's all I. Need. But it is to have a conversation about. Hey, this is the case. Let's talk about a case study. What would you do as a physical therapist, and what would I do, uh, and how is it similar? Obviously, I have limitations that you don't have. You can do more things that I'm not able to do, uh, and I feel like there is some vice versa in that scenario as well. And one thing that I really don't like is occupational racism. At least that's 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 the best way I can describe it. I love it's, that term. That's that's hilarious. You know, every to me. single association, every single discipline, every licensed uh, field, it has an underground battle with someone that is similar in terms of practice with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a platform for us to be able to invite. Uh, you know, expertise, just general expertise. It doesn't matter what discipline you are. It doesn't matter what field you practice in. As long as you are delivering, you're, you're trying to improve someone's life, whether it's through movement, whether it's through pain management, whether it's through uh, uh, anything that helps them live a better qual- uh, um, uh, quality of life. Life, life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, as we move forward, we like people to uh reach out to us let's uh you know bring you on help us out help us um kind of cast our net into a wide range of people give us feedback on what you want to hear more about or if we're just straight up stupid which yeah we are but but that's fine that's why some people like us that's why we get into the field right yeah yeah, I think I think we do a pretty good job of, of having people like us, and, and you know that's and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Actually, people liking us <laughs> in um, a certain way. <laughs> yeah, but 
you know, hopefully it's going to grow and hopefully we're going to learn us. We are going to learn. Uh, and uh, it's a, a the thing I, I love to describe it as is really it's a live recording of us learning from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you guys might get to witness a little bit about it. And, and I love it so much. Whenever we get a chance to talk about this, I go in to work every single day being much more invigorated. For sure. Really getting a chance to hear that there are other people out there that really do care. Yeah. And we want to hear from you guys. So, And, and any that. questions that you guys have, and if you want us to do a certain episode on something specific, let us know. That's what we're here for. We're here for, for you guys to learn, to grow, and be able to help yourselves as, as well as seeking out the right help that you need. Damn right. So, Damn and right. find a way that we can all work together. Yeah, man. Yeah. Definitely. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. So... What um, you said earlier, having people like us. Why don't you Why don't you take us home right now and talk <laughs> about the things that you've experienced these past couple of days or past couple of weeks since we spoke last time? Yeah, um, I'll tell you. It's kind of funny. We in in the field, especially in my field as a physical therapist, it's it's all about the interaction with a patient and really how do we get them to find a way to be on our side. One, it's kind of like a salesman point where we're trying to be like, here's what we're doing. Here's how it helps you. And this is why I want you to keep coming back so I can show you some of these things. And no, I don't want you to stay here forever. I only want you to be with me for a couple of weeks so we can really show you and teach you these things. Uh, the, the thing about really just getting people to like us is really mostly just, just getting to the point where they see what we're talking about and understand and listen. Because I feel like when they understand that makes them so much more inclined to do what's going on. And when they start to realize they're an active member and what's going on as, as part of it, they feel so much more involved and, and they feel like they take a little bit of ownership as well. I mean, um, in, in my field and a lot of the professional fields out there, we practice evidence-based practice being the clinician's experience. Uh, what the latest research says is, is top and optimal. And finally, and most importantly is the patient preference. So when they start to hear these things, they hear questions about how do you want your care to go, they feel so much more in love with it. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I really love that, that aspect of it. So, um, I, and as a, as a practitioner, I love the, the ability to be able to sit and listen and give them the time that they need to talk about it. We're seeing patients that are going through so much dramatic things in their lives and, and they're coming to us for help. So who are we to talk over them and, and not just sit back and listen and really let them feel hurt? I mean, I think everyone at a certain point wants to, wants to feel heard and feel understood. So if we can just start to kind of match their body language and, and really understand and, and give them that nod and that understanding and actually listen to what they're saying, I think they're going to be so much more in tune with everything, really be on, on, on board with us. So... You know, I think one thing that it's important right now to um, display, and this is, you know, I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts from, uh, you know, really well put together uh, guys who do these really, really well podcasts. Way better than us, right? Well, I mean, hopefully we'll, we'll, kind, of, we'll kind of get there. But, um, and some well-known people. Could he become a third master? Of podcasting. Of podcasting. Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, I think I think it's important to to establish two different 
um, areas of practice, right? Like Brian, I mean, these thoughts are kind of scattered everywhere, so we'll just go with it. Um, like Brian, evidence base is really important to me. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I was just like, dude, I love you. I don't even know you, but let's hug it up. Because mm -hmm. you went to a school that I'm really aware, really well aware of, um, Incarnate Ward, and they are one of the only evidence-based or problem-based uh, uh, educational platforms in Texas. Now, you may need to inform a little bit more about what problem-based learning is. Problem-based learning is, I mean, you'll probably do a better job at it, but in a nutshell, it is not your traditional go-to-class lecture, PowerPoint presentation, learn the material that I'm teaching you as a professor and read the book. But it is. Sure. Different in different this way. In the way that the problem is presented to you the, and, and, and your team uh, you guys are put in a in a group based mm -hmm. on skills and 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 strengths, mm -hmm. and uh, you are given a problem, and it's your job to go out there and research and find out every single thing you possibly can, including anatomical uh, parts, neurological pathways, uh, everything related to that particular problem, and then come back, discuss it with the class, and do a presentation on it. And so the idea, I think. Again, you can explain it better because you experienced it in that sense and uh, for physical therapy. But um, it's a way for you to investigate. You're actually taking an um, active role and investigating everything out there, quality research versus bad research. You know, mm -hmm. How do you Critically um, appraise that. prioritize which research to put your money on which research actually utilize in your own practice in your own skills uh, setting in your toolbox mm -hmm. um, am I so am I like in the yeah no you're right in the field of it it's kind of a really good summation of it which I feel like if I tried to explain problem based learning I could go on for four hours and really not even say anything really about what it is because it's it's one of those things that you do all the time but you don't really realize you're doing it and until someone tries to define it, it's just like that doesn't make sense. Right. But honestly, it, it is, like you mentioned, a case scenario where you're given, okay, here's what you need to know and here's what you need to do to fix it. Or here's what you need to fix this person. How are you going to do it? Right. And you start basically from ground zero. What's anatomy? How do I examine the person? How do I really figure out what their diagnosis is? What are other diagnoses that it may or may not be? And then how do I treat it right afterwards? So all that... And it's very crammed, it's very quick, but it pushes you in. And I love the word you use, and you're going to hear this word resound from me continuously throughout the further episodes, is active. I was an active proponent in my own learning, and I promote activity and active in, in all aspects of life. That's versus right. mine and versus right. all my patients as That's well. That's right. Investigational learning. That's where my uh, uh, academic basis comes in as well that's my learning uh strength that's how i learn the best um is by uh engaging in problem-based learning investigational independent learning and so problem i'm sorry um um uh what is it oh my god just get my mind evidence-based mm. i think at yeah. this point evidence the term evidence-based is getting thrown out 
so much. Evidence-based is much more than just the term evidence-based because literally you can find evidence on anything that would actually um, promote it or denounce it. It's called uh, information bias. Yep. Exactly. If I want to be able to say that this and that's the best thing in the world, I got to do is find type in those words into a database and I'm sure there's something sure. that's going to come up. So. And there is a beauty in that too. You know, that, that research is always going to change. What we used to do back then is no longer the case today. And I'm sure in, in, the, in the field of physical therapy, it's the same thing. It's constantly oh, yeah. changing. Definitely, definitely. Um, so with all that said, I, th- I guess we're kind of chasing a rabbit to say that um, both of us love evidence-based. Both of us are all about learning. Both of us are investigational uh, practitioners. And uh, we don't like to just do bullshit uh, you know, applications, programming, um, interventions for yeah. the individuals we're trying to help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very systematic. It's very thought out. It's very um, problem-based. And I think most things should be. Right. Because I think that, that makes, like we were talking about earlier, I think that makes the patient like us whenever we can say, this, 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 this led me to believe this. A plus B equals C. And you can draw a linear equation to a patient and anyone else. It shows it. And you can also prove it through research. What else? What argument is there? Right. Well, I mean, there, there still could be arguments. Of course. And I think that's of course. We're kind of that's, we're that's, getting into right now. will always argue with me, right? But, um, but what is really interesting between um, Brian and myself is um, Brian is involved in a fellowship. Yes. Okay. And... Uh, I am not, but the demographic of people that we serve with predominantly is entirely different. And in some ways, would, for sure. In some ways, in but I would like to kind of dive into that and, and relate that to how do you communicate? I think that's the topic of this podcast, right? This episode today yeah. is communication. How do you initially talk to your patient, client, athlete, people? Um, And how do you gain their trust, right? Exactly. I know pain science is a really big thing, especially from where you uh, work for Mm -hmm. the most part. That's why don't you tell us about your fellowship a little bit? Um, So it's a uh, fellowship program. I'm I'm finishing up the pre-fellowship courses and and things that go with it right now, Um, and it's it's. Like Bardia mentioned there, it throws a lot of information into pain science and really how to communicate and how you really take yourself from just the basic practitioner to really expediting it and making yourself that that next level of clinician that that the patient feels they can trust and they can understand Um, and and gives you the skills to be confident in what you're doing and, and, and being that next person. Um, I, I love that aspect and, and moving forward with that, that conversation moment, that communication, we know time in and time out, like communication is the number one most important thing of all in, in any type of interaction, especially in, in the patient interaction. The patient is here to communicate what they need to you and, and, and you're there to communicate your findings and your results to them. The question and the debate of how that gets done is never ending. I mean, for me, it's, it starts with, uh, with a million different things, but the most important thing is, is kind of as I mentioned earlier, active listening 
and really making that patient feel understood and, and not sorry, just see what he's doing there. <laughs> see, he's not even paying attention to me. That was horrible. That was bad timing. Um, I'm so sorry. Go on. Uh, the, my favorite quote, I think, it, I don't remember who who said it back in ancient times, was something about like we were given two ears and one mouth so that we may listen more and speak less. And it's just like a simple math equation that proves that the way we're made is designed to listen and to not talk over someone and speak through them and understand what they're saying and then respond to that. So I think that's the very first most important thing. One that I've learned from the fellowship to go back to your initial question, but also kind of to be a perfect segue into what we're trying to talk about today and communication and, and how we get from point A to point B with the patient and show them that, that linear aspect. So I, I, I'm interested because I, I, I'm very familiar and, and kind of have a set way of the way I communicate, but, but how do you go about that initial interaction with the patient? So um, I think to kind of break it down, and, and I'm trying things that I'm learning right now, but one thing that I've noticed, uh, I mean, I, you know, people that I'm really uh, listening to is uh, like physical therapist uh, Greg Lehman. Um, I know he's a really big time pioneer, uh, big time guy, well known, and well. Um, he he just knows a lot about the field that he is interested in, which is pain science and how do you integrate that. And, uh, and other guys um, like Adrian Lowe, yep. another really really well known guy. He's, he's coming. He's, is he coming to Houston or he was in Houston already? He, I, think he's I believe to he was recently or well he probably makes trips around here every year anyways he's he's a big big name in the field yeah for sure and you know um adrian Lowe comes from a uh manual therapy background i mean he's 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 very very well rehearsed and uh well equipped manually and i know your fellowship is also very uh manual based program um where I come from is more movement-based, obviously. My restrictions is I can't do some of the manual things you can do. Majority of the manual things you can do, it's not in my field. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to do that. I don't, I don't do diagnosis. I don't adjust. I don't manip. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I have to find different ways of delivering useful and effective measures for the, for the demographic that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What I've noticed is a common denominator in all majority of these findings and readings that I'm measuring and the articles written by um, uh, Greg Lehman and uh, Adrian are the demographics. Majority of these people are chronic pain individuals, um, low health literacy, Uh um, people that don't really move a whole lot. And majority of the... um, uh, now, for some of our listeners, try and kind of define, or at least to the best of your ability, what chronic pain patients may present as. I mean, and from my understanding and the way I treat it is patients who have had pain for over three months, um, and, and, and at this time, tissues have started to resolve um, any problematic issues and errors, but, but pain still persists. And they're... Right. And the sad thing is a lot of times in, in the world of the medical field is that it's looked at as kind of you're faking it or you're making this up because there's no way you could really be hurt. 
and and their pain is real they have this pain and we have to find a way to really help them with it in any way and and as i think it, it really starts with is is the communication aspect but sorry to take that from you no 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 i mean this is this is interesting of what you're saying correct me if i'm wrong but the common denominator in the encouragement i hear from different practitioners when it comes to dealing with this population is you're okay what you think is going the herniation that your mri shows is really not I mean, I'm, I'm using layman's term, but I'm, I'm sure you, you want to use different terminology to kind of um, denutralize or neutralize your patient while you're working with them. Mm -hmm. um, but your herniation is really not the cause of your discomfort. You're, if you would take an MRI of my lower lumbar, you would find more herniations or, and more discs than you could probably count. Right. So that may not be the cause of your discomfort. Let's 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 look at different avenues. And you provide education, you provide in depth, but one key factor is you're encouraging them to just move. These correct. people who are chronic, these people, and I'm assuming. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the population that's different from my population uh, are those people who you have to encourage to move. They have so much pain. They perceive the pain so much or their sensitivity to, to, to that uh, is so much that um, it discourages them from moving and they haven't moved for some time. Mm -hmm. So your agenda, your goal is to um, uh, reduce the fear of their diagnosis and encourage them just to move. Is that correct or is that incorrect? I feel like you, you definitely hit the nail on the head there where we really are and that's how the expression is um, but that's really I think that's what we really do try and promote is, is proper movement um, and even if at first it's improper movement it's it's something different sure. I often use kind of the bargaining tool of well you've been doing this for so long being rest and it's not really working so let's try something different and we try activity and things like that, and they start to feel better. And, and the thing is, the research doesn't really know whether it really is just endorphin release and things like that happening, or it really is their pain decreasing. But at the end of the day, if they're feeling better, hey, they're feeling better. WTF is really happening. We, I don't and, and care I think, so yeah, much. That's, that's what it is. Like, what is really going on? Exactly. Um, but that's the difference between. The population I serve and the population you serve, and 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 how much of an application you can uh, apply to pain science, right? Um, but I I don't want the people out there, and and also even yourself, if this is something you think that that just because they've had pain for that long, and those are the only people we start to use our pain science and our our educational tools on, because sure. these. The the pain science, I think it's kind of like kind of overplayed at this point to where it's like, oh, you're a pain science patient. I need to act like this to you. No. I think it's more of the way we interact with everybody. Sure. Absolutely. And the way that we start to interact and know the way that we're supposed to kind of like you said, downplay these things and really promote proper things in our everyday conversation. Yeah. And I don't think it's that hard. But it does take practice. Yeah, so. it does. I mean, that's what um, 
uh, Adrian Lowe says quite a bit. It's like, look, there is, you know, if you're going to say pain science, there's no pain science or manual therapy. It's not one or the other. It's not like black and white. No, it's not. You have to be able to be good enough and artistic enough to where you know when to pull out what card and how to use it based on the person you're working with. And mm-hmm. I totally agree with it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the skill, I think, in, in any practitioner who's trying to help someone um, uh, battle these uh, fear, pain, discomfort, yeah, precisely. limitations in movement, and so forth. Um, so I, 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 I'm not saying that you, know, you either use it or you don't use it. What I'm saying is... I'm kind of chasing a rabbit to get to the population that I serve. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and what, ahead, is, what has kind of inspired me to talk more about this particular topic. And if anybody's listening, if anybody can help me understand, because there is, please email us. But I haven't been able to find anything on applying pain science as a whole to the athlete population, to the active population, to the population who, um, they're not worried about moving. They're not worried about pain. They are very okay Mm -hmm. with dealing with pain and moving past pain. And even if it's hurting them, they're gonna get through, they're gonna work out, they're gonna do that particular movement. they have complicated movement impairments. They have complicated patterns that are not um, diagnosable. They have, I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a, um, and their, their mentality, their understanding of their body, depending on whether they're recreational or professionals, they have a much different understanding of their bodies. And yeah. so, so applying those um, applications initially is not the same from my experience. I don't so think it's as applicable. I will offer a counterpoint to that. Okay. Your patients, they have pain, right? Yeah. They have pain with movement. Right. And, and it doesn't affect their activity. And work. most things are, are with movement, right? So uh, kind of like what I was getting at earlier is the way we talk and the way we interact and the way we relay our information to our patients, to me, that's really what pain science is. And sure. if we can start to apply that to anybody, really. Yes. So, yes. and the question I think you're kind of offering us and, and asking for advice for from anyone is, is how can we do that more with the athletic population, those that aren't afraid of moving and things like that. And to me, because it, it's, I, I do see athletes and things like that, um, on on occasion, and they're they're the same type of people. They have the same problems that anyone else has. Though they do want to move and they want to do these things, it's it's about getting down to formulating that systematic approach to here's here's what you don't have. I, I like to give any single patient that I see here's three things that you don't have. You don't have a blood issue. You don't have a circulatory issue. Your bones aren't broken. Here's what you do have. And in a way, like you said earlier, neutralize it to where this isn't the biggest thing in the world, especially to your athletes, that running is the most important thing to them. If they see that, okay, their movement pattern during their squat, that's a little j- jointy right now, 
if they see that's messed up and they take that zero to 10 real fast and make that the worst possible thing in the world, they've now lost the one thing that gives them passion in life, albeit running or whatever it is. If you start to downplay the, 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 the thing about it and really just show them that it's a minor impairment, but it's definitely something we can do something about and give them a time frame. Okay, maybe your knees aren't moving quite right and you, from my field and you may have a little patellofemoral pain or what, what have you, and, but we can do something about that and we're going to get you back to it and, and give me about two or three weeks and give them that kind of clear lineup of, because especially with a lot of conditions you're handling with, they're insidious onset, they're things that really start to build up and, and things that, that patients don't really understand. So if you start to show them, I do understand, and here's, how, here's what we're going to do about it and show them kind of that light, I think that's really what pain science really is. Um, you know, and I, and, I, and I totally agree with you. I, 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 I don't want, you know, there's a, it's, it's, I, I want to be, I am open to understanding uh, this more from different perspectives. But I also do want to um, point out or, or, or admit to the fact even though I, we don't, I mean, I'm sure there have been, I mean, like I'm all over the place. Um, there are plenty of people out there who apply this, the cognitive psychosocial application to people who they're working with to gain their trust, to calm them down, to divert fear-based symptoms, sensitivity. It's called pain science today because that's where physical therapy has led the research and has coined the term pain science. But this is what makes a good practitioner, and it doesn't matter what your discipline is, a good practitioner, is for you to be able to identify and understand and empathize with the person you're talking to, quickly be able to pick out as you're talking with them, as you're uh, assessing them or evaluating them in your case. Um, the motivational interview, okay, is all based yeah. on you understanding who you are, who this person is, connecting with them, and being being able to deliver the best possible intervention for this person. That's pain science. I totally understand that. And I've done that, and I will continue to do that. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty good at for certain things, and this is one of those things that I'm pretty good at, is being able to um, get you to, if you're braced, if you've been experiencing pain for a long time and you have your guards up, you don't want to really share, you've been disappointed in the medical system, you don't really really feel like this is going to help you out, those are the ones that I'm really good at working with because I understand what's going That's to That's the best skill in the world right there. I can bring them down. I've never called it pain science. It's not within, you know, it's pain science is, is, is we're using a term that both of us can relate to and people who are listening can relate to and so mm -hmm. forth. But um, a few key aspects of pain science from a um, information that I've been able to collect. The, the difference is the population that you're serving. Now I had heard uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, podcasts. I think it was uh, 
Pain Reform. No, Pain... Reframed. Reframed. I love those guys. Those, are, yeah. those, those guys, guys are, are, are guys. pretty awesome, man. Of course. But they had Aaron on, uh, Adrian on. Okay. And um, he said a lot of wonderful things that I was just like, oh, I love this. I mean, it gave me more confidence. It, it kind of reassured me that, you know, even though I'm not a physical therapist, I am able to keep up and be able to help people from a very sophisticated angle. Um, of course. But at the same time, there were some things that I'm like, all right, uh, I wonder how you would be able to apply what he's saying, and I don't want to take it you know, verbatimly, to the population I work with. And that difference is um, the encouragement, the key term that, you're, that, that you use, like instability. Um, uh, hypermobility he you know from his perspective he was saying like hey don't talk about these yeah, things right? exactly because it's going to scare the patient more it's yeah. going to they're not really going to understand like displacement knee yeah. instability you know hip lumbo instability of course those things are going to further uh, complicate the patient's mind and it's not really going to influence their recovery rate of course so you're saying, of course, but I feel like that that should apply more to the population that are suffering chronically, that are not very active, that live a lifestyle that um, does not include the athletic, the recreational active person. So how do you think it doesn't apply to the population? You Great question. Great question. So if I'm working with someone who is a pro crossfitter, all right, um, they're going to move as much as they possibly can. If they have pain, I mean, that's one thing I like about athletes. I'm not an athlete myself, but I've always really enjoyed He's pretty active. built. No, no, seriously. I, 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 I break down really easily. Like I, you know, I had torn meniscus and blah, blah, blah throughout high school. I played football. I wrestled throughout high school and a little bit. College. I did amateur boxing for a little bit, so I'm, I'm, I'm I love getting, you know, uh, ruffled up a little bit. But I know that my body is built differently than someone. Who's Not more for athletic. the gym is what he's trying to say. He's yeah. making excuses. No, no go ahead. I, I, I like. I'm gonna like, get this guy in the I gym like, tomorrow morning. Like don't you guys worry gym. about it. I, I'm, I just know if I if I don't have the athletic body. The athletic body works this way, in my opinion. Um, the athlete has an injury okay they don't necessarily experience the pain because they've been conditioned to work past the pain the difference between understanding pain is so subjective that's so convoluted all on its own of course six vital sign you know what i mean um rank your pain zero to ten or is this the pain that i should work through i mean i call it productive pain non-productive pain you know, that terminology. You should, you should be able to feel the type of pain that you're experiencing. But most athletes, especially in the world of CrossFit, don't know that. Okay? Um, and if you So they are, don't know what pain is? Is that what you're saying? No, it's, it's difficult for them to understand. Is this productive pain? Is this the pain that I got gotcha. to push through? Or is this the pain that I got to like back off because my body's giving me some signals and some signs okay. that I got to fucking stop? Gotcha. Or... There is something wrong that I need to apply. Mm-hmm. Okay, most people that I work with have discomfort, pains, and aches during CrossFit or active movements. 
you know, only whenever I squat past this amount of weight, my knee hurts. Gotcha. Okay. Only whenever I do box jump, my back hurts. Only whenever I do um, kipping or or knees to bar, very specific movements, they experience pain. Okay. Okay. So it's a puzzle that you got to work out and you got to figure out what's going on. Um, so if I am to tell this person, they, they bring their MRI or, or they bring or they tell me about what's going on with them. Okay. And if I was to tell them, your MRI says you have a herniated disc. And I have some physicians who refer to me and, um, you know, they're like, this person has, you know, a diagnosis. All right. Okay. I can't work. I don't, I, I don't give diagnosis. I look at movement impairments. All right. And for me to say to them, they're already like, my doctor said I have a herniated disc, my L4, L5. Uh, I have a bulging disc on my L3, L4, and that's why my back hurts. Where does your back hurt? It hurts right over here where the SI is. Okay. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll do my assessments. I'll do my movement uh, analysis to figure out exactly where it's, what's going on from my point of view. And my fiance, by the way, for you guys that are listening, she's also a physical therapist. She just got her license. She just passed her board. We're super excited. Um, it's pretty awesome. But her and I Most will love to like, spend our Saturday, Friday nights talking about, um, you know, her perspective and my perspective uh, on, on, on things. And she says you should never tell a person they have instable SI, okay, or they have instable um, instability of the knee. Okay, or they have lack of or hypermobility in the shoulder and hypomobility in their scapula. You should never tell a person a person that. I say, well, why not? She's like, because that's scaring them too much. That's not how you diffuse, neutralize their symptoms or their understanding or like whatnot. Right. So and I know I'm kind of going off over here. No, you're let good. me let me just get, yeah. get get to this point. These people that I that I work with. They're more frightened of the term impingement. They're more frightened of torn supraspinatus, rotator cuff, labrum tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're more afraid of herniation. They're more afraid of those terminology, right? Right, okay. Or sometimes they don't even know what the fuck is going on. They're so frightened that, holy shit, I have never had pain before. Now I'm 34. I've never experienced pain all my life. I've been in, in sports, high school, college. You know, I, I, I played college sports. And then now I'm doing this and I'm kind of semi-moving up the professional realm in CrossFit. And I have pain. So which one is scarier to them? For me to say, your herniation? Or for me to say, look, you just have some really simple, your knee is a little bit unstable. So we want to look at different factors. What causes instability in the knee, your ankles, your hip? Let's look at the range. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the movement of these things. And then let's come up with a program that's going to help correct that real quick. And within one session, if I'm able to convey to them all the, all the facts, all the biofeedback information that I can provide to them, to where they can understand it, you can see the aha moment go off. That I feel like it's appropriate to use that kind of terminology, you know? Yeah, um, of course. Versus not using it for them. Yeah. 
because so, it gives them a hope to like you know yeah. what, fuck, I can I'm not done yet I can I can keep going I don't I don't have to stop definitely um, I I no no great I I have two comments and concerns in response to it okay so first uh, I love how you're reading into this and feeling these out in these patients um, first off I. I love the question of asking people when they tell me what the causes of their pain or what, what someone else has told them, especially in the sense of disc herniations or something like that. Uh, and this is going to lead into my second point of really just figuring out what type of person they are. Um, it, in, in this case, I love asking the question, what do you think about that? So if they've been told they have three disc herniations and we're going to send you to PT, we're going to send you to this movement analysis guy and see what he can do for you. I, I love asking them, so what do you think about that? Do you think that's the end-all, be-all? Are you going to take that from zero to a million? Or what are you going to do? Like, Is that the worst possible thing for you or what? Um, and then from there, really trying to figure out more about who they are and how things are going to go from there. And, and figuring out what type of person and how they perceive and understand pain. Uh, next, and, and my next point is, I like to relate it to being either, in my head, my dad or my brother. I, of course, like most PTs in the world nowadays, you've treated your family because they come to you for advice all the time. My brother, he he's the type of guy who just wants to know what to do and how to move past it. My dad, he's the engineer that wants to know every little thing about yep. it and and what's going on. Both of these people I find relate in the same way to your population. You may have the people that are like my brother who are just like, whatever, just fix me and let's move on to where you don't have to use all that technical terminology and you can just say, I got a little instability. We're going to do these exercises and see where we go. And those are the patients that really genuinely, generally, start to buy in pretty quickly because they're just like, okay, fine, it's working. I'm not going to say no. Now those other half of the people, those engineers like my dad, like I like to say, you're a a dad patient. Those patients are the ones that you have to be able to, one, show them your expertise so that they understand, okay, I can trust this guy. And then two, those are the people that actually would use all those words for because those people want to hear those things so that they know something's wrong Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and they want to hear what's wrong Mm -hmm. the difference is whether you hype it up or not because everyone in the world looks at webmd now right they see a labral tear they think freaking heck i need surgery i'm never going to get back to running i'm never going to get back to crossfitting or whatever because i have to go to get surgery for my labral tear in my hip blah 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 blah, or my my torn medial meniscus the difference is how you deliver that information and whether it's true or not after you've assessed how they respond to feedback and how you're going to give that information. So in my head, I'm constantly interplaying with those types of patients of, are you a dad or you're a brother? Okay. If you're a dad, I'm going to have to, right. So I'm going to have to look into this and figure out, okay, I'm going to have to one show off a little that I know some stuff. And then at the end of it, present to you what it really is and what we're going to do about it. I had a patient just the other day, it was really a dad patient. He came in, had some really clear meniscal strain is- issues. 
Um, but he was just scared that he had torn his meniscus. He had a buckle handle, bucket handle tear that he had looked up online and saw he needed surgery for. It was going to take forever to heal, so he's going to have to get surgery, and he would be out of work for probably six to eight months after that. Went through our examination, saw him walking in. He was doing okay, no significant painful limp or anything like that. Went through it all, and I was like, okay, you do have some issues. So there's some obviously some strength deficits and things like that on the, on one side compared to the other. But I'm not seeing any signs or symptoms of a tear and no significant injury of any kind. What I am seeing is a, just a little strain that we can definitely do something about. And when they start to hear those things of, there's hope. That's the biggest thing in the world. I mean, when, especially in your athletic population, those people that are, are resorting to end all be all, like zero to sixty, there's they're donezo. They're losing their their quality of life, their passion as soon as something happens or they feel something new. That's when you have to start to use this language, the way we interact with them, and the way we can really start to impact their care by saying, "I got you." And and like I said earlier, you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this. What you do have, just like you said, with those people, I would say, a little bit of instability here and there, and we can really work on that. Give me a little bit of time, and we can really progress those things. Yeah. But once you kind of highlight to them, you don't have a bucket handle tear. You don't have circulatory issues in your knee. You may be getting a little bit older, but it doesn't mean you're, you're donezo. And there's no fractures in there. So the, all this stuff that you've been feeling, it's okay. now. And this happens a lot. But this is also something that I can help with. As soon as they hear help and I can help, it's going to be better. For sure. They're bought in so much. So I I don't know. Do those two points kind of help Absolutely. you at all? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of understanding I, that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I understand um, it's very hard. I, I'm not like I said, I'm not a master of it. I get some patients that I really do really well, and then I get a couple of referrals from patients who those ones that did well talk to other people, and I love that because then they come yeah. for me for the same thing. So, um, but when you can kind of get a mastery with your words of really suckering that person in to not suckering and it makes it sound kind of cynical in nature, but like kind of tricking them into knowing to understanding you and getting to know them better mm-hmm. so you can can make them that next level person. Yeah. It 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 changes things a ton. I mean sure. I worked with my dad a million times to show him you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And, and he was like, okay fine. He never did anything. And then just recently I finally was like, okay, fine. I gotta sit here and I gotta talk to him. Gave him his time that he needed talked to him showed him okay here's what's going on there's six signs that you may have this there's two signs you may have this at the end of the day here's what i'm seeing and here are the things that have led me to this thought and and here's what we're going to do about it show him a few light exercises and and of course i'm going to do a little bit of manual techniques and at the end of it he starts to feel better he finally starts to understand it and i haven't heard a single day that he hasn't done his exercises and, and no complaints at this point so and and there's just that way of triggering it to with every patient of really understanding who they are, and they might be a little bit of a brother or a dad or they might be in between, right? I mean, and and every you gotta find that way with people, and and it's hard. For sure, I totally totally know it's hard, man. For sure, you know it's it's interesting because um, uh, you you have to use a different tongue 
for every single person you work with. And it's really interesting. You kind of categorize them as your dad or your brother, like the type of people. For sure, every time I, I understand that someone's an engineer, I will, you know, I always give people the option. I'm like, do you want to hear the short version or you want to hear the long version of what's going on and what I'm finding? Majority of them will say I want the long version because they're there to learn. The population I work with happen to have gone and tried multiple different avenues unsuccessfully. And, you know, my business is operated mainly by word of mouth. I don't really do a whole lot of advertising. I don't do a whole lot of except sponsorships and things of that nature. Except like he did on our podcast just a moment ago. <laughs> um, it's word of mouth. And people who have hadn't really found success that they were looking for at other places, you know, I'm blessed to be able to be that kind of uh, pathway for them to give them the hope, give them a little bit more of a clear understanding of what's going on. You know, they've, they've tried physical therapy in a, in a uh, less progressive, less um, not as smart, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. They've been to a chiropractors. They've, they've been to other uh, um, forms of, of, of rehab, but they haven't really found a successful pattern. And that also helps too, to be like, all right, well, what am I going to talk with you? How am I going to convey this to you? How am I going to uh, help you understand what's going on uh, from just my lens, from my angle of, mm -hmm. of, of looking at things? And I'm sure there's multiple different ways of, of looking at things. Recently, I had this one person, she went to a neurologist. The neurologist was like, it's your nerve. Went to an orthopedic. Orthopedic was like, you know, it's your bone. Um, seriously. She went to um, a chiropractor. What's the old wise tale about the 12 men who look at an elephant? And they're an yeah. old story. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. There. Go ahead, and, sorry. And it, and, it, and it doesn't mean that each of those uh, individuals diagnosed her are incorrect. They are correct in their own field, in their own, from, from the lens that they're looking at. I'm sure they find something that they're able to say, this is what I found. I, I don't think it's Maybe. incorrect. Maybe. You know? But you're going to a specialist who specializes in looking at the disease or the impairment or the issue that you're dealing with from that lens. Agreed. Okay. And so if you come to someone like me, I'm going to look at your movement pattern and try to associate what's going on with you based on the impairments and the deficiencies and the limitations you have in those movements. And that's a whole other episode uh, <laughs> talking about, because, you know, I know where you and Sean, my fiance, uh, live and, and study and, and gain your influence is uh, not really based on movement impairments. Am I right? Actually, quite contradictory. We look at all the different types of, we don't necessarily call it, always call it movement impairments. Okay. We call it motor control. Or sure. at least that's how I refer yeah. to it. Yeah. And it, we don't classify it as a specific impairment, or some of us do. Um, I don't often rely on it just because I haven't been trained so much in the movement impairment system kind of dialect. But um, at times, I definitely do use it. So it's not totally outside of what You know, it's really interesting because I've talked, I, I talk to any physical therapist I come across just because I'm so interested in like He's therapy. cheating on me, guys. I know. But there's this guy who just came from Washington and uh, he went to the school that uh, Sarman created. It's Wash purely, you. yeah, purely movement based, uh, and very little manual. And yeah, he does no manual. 
and uh, he looks at things from a movement perspective. And talking to you and talking to Sean, you guys are more mm-hmm. uh, move, uh, 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 manual and pain science. And usually, usually, like last time it was uh, New Year. No, it wasn't New Year. It was Fourth of July, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about uh, movement impairments instead of pain science. I think pain science. And I'm just using these terms because these are more yeah. understanding. Common news, yeah, and, and I don't, I don't want it to think that we don't do movement impairments at all because what we do a lot is is the movement impairment of it. Manual therapy is just our way of treating that movement impairment. Um, it's it's a way that we kind of come to just know because of our schooling and the way we've been taught and practice through these things. But definitely, I mean, I, I see where you're going with that. We we definitely use it more than anything, actually. Um, but we we get we get to it when we can. Nice. So nice, very cool, very cool. So I think uh, to sum it up for this uh, particular episode, the important thing is for you to become more skillful at getting to know your person. How you converse with them is dependent on the person, their history their experience in the medical system, their uh, functional level, their functional capabilities, um, and also their literacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will kind of help you sharpen your skills to become better at identifying these things quickly while you're talking to them early initially, and being able to... um, help express and explain what's going on with them and uh, helping them trust you and what you're offering them. Yeah, I th- and a lot of those things are the way we communicate and the way we, we understand or try to relate to the patient. One word I really try to avoid with any of my patients is the phrase, I understand because I don't think, I don't think I'll ever understand how they perceive their pain. That's a really good thing. The way to say. they go through things because, yeah. and I'll tell them that I was like, I'll never understand what you're going through, but I'm going to do my best to help you. Hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah, what's up? This is also really interesting to me. So I experienced pain, right? How do you empathize if you haven't experienced the pain that this person might be experiencing? But I love what you said. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's it's really great that you're like, I, you don't use the word I understand because I think from last time you said you really haven't been injured. You've, you've never experienced injury. You've never experienced pain before. I've been injured, but I'm not going to say I've had a ACL tear or something like that. Like some of my patients have back had. Back pain? I've had back pain, but it's, it's due to exercise related. So things like that. I mean, and I think the biggest way to to relate to that patient is to tell them, I've never had this, but I know I know a lot of the things about it. Because you, there's no way we can have the same pain as any other any patients had. There's no way you've had every type of condition in the world that the patients you're going to see have had. So you have to be able to convey to them that you are an expert in what you do, and and find a way to let them understand that and reveal that as as you move forward with them, so that they know to trust you more. I mean, and I think a lot of it is knowing what they're going to feel when you give them an exercise program. So 
if I'm going to have them do an exercise, I live by the motto of practice what you preach. I know what this exercise feels like and where you should feel it. So when you feel it a certain way, I know that's, that's, that's something I do understand. I may not understand how you're perceiving it and the way your pain is relating to it. And that's why I'm asking you questions throughout the entire session. How does this feel? Where do you feel this? How can I help you more? What, what else is going on as you do this? Are those normal things or are those not normal things? And that's what I think distinguishes a person that a patient perceives as an expert versus a non-expert. So Beautiful, beautiful. Cool, man. So I think this will this wraps up our first episode. I, I hope uh, you guys take away something uh, that you already knew, probably, or you didn't know. Um, we look forward to both of us. I know Brian and I are really both excited about this. Both of us, we look forward to learning and uh, exploring different options and to really dig in and understand what the fuck is really going on in, uh, in our bodies. Um, you know, trying to put pieces together and have a little bit better of an understanding of what's going on. So with Perfect. that said, thank you so much for listening. Please catch us next time. Like our page. Uh, you can find our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook. And we like to kind of close each episode out with a motivational quote right. of some kind to kind of get you thinking and moving forward with the rest of your week as you go on with treating patients or or being a patient yourself. Uh, the one I picked out this week is one that I, I read from uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Uh, why are manhole covers round? It can't all fit into the manhole no matter how much you twist and turn it. A rectangular one can if you tilt it sideways. And it's okay to be different. It is. So yeah. definitely. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening and we hope to hope to hear your feedback and see you on our next podcast. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and follow our social media and tune in next time for more WTF is really happening in all things physical rehabilitation.